right, welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur coming to you in crystal clear, high definition. It's Benny Horowitz. The mellifluous tones of my voice. <laughs> mellifluous. Do you remember that old skit on SNL where they would have James Earl Jones just say SAT words? That was in the Eddie Murphy era, right? Maybe not Murphy. Maybe like 90s. Yeah. But that's where I learned <laughs> that word. I'll always, I'll always hear that word as James Earl Jones saying, mellifluous. Oh, mellifluous. Mellifluous. <laughs> yeah. It was a good bit. How you doing, Danny? What's I'm, going on? I'm doing great, man. I feel like we're a couple episodes away here from either being some sort of variation of NPR meets Teddy Pendergrast. Oh, good. Go on. <laughs> I think you just described my personality, actually, in one <laughs> sentence, which is NPR meets Teddy Pendergrast. <laughs> it's actually like, I think that's a fairly uh, fairly uh, apt description of what I'm, what I'm all about. Basically, that... a large, <laughs> sexual, soulful nerd. I think, I think that's how I'll describe myself moving forward. You know, when I sell this podcast to the folks at SiriusXM, Pandora, Stitcher, the elevator pitch is NPR meets Teddy Pendergrast. That's that's just it, just sexual chocolate. You need it. Listen, I've been in a lot of pitch meetings. (laughs) You always need like the one sentence, the the grabber. You know, like oh. (laughs) Teddy Pendergrast isn't too deep of a cut, is it? Will I lose the millennials? No. Well. I don't think so, though. Did you see those draft, uh, the draft profiles where they were talking to the guys and they had no idea who like in sync was, um, or like anything '90s at all related? They had no idea who uh, Vanilla Ice was. Just all, just anything that you could think from the '90s. They had no idea. Oh, they showed a VCR. Lamelo Ball was like, "Is that is that a PlayStation One?" I was like, "Come on." I mean, I saw the same thing and. I honestly, uh, I don't know what people are expecting out of these kids. Like, how is some kid who was born in 1999 or 2000 going to know what the fuck a floppy disk is? I mean, and why would they? Why would they know what it looks like? Why? And it's they didn't even show him like a normal pager. They showed him like the old ass alphanumeric ones that yeah. people stopped using even by the time I used pagers. Uh, you know, I don't know. I I felt for those kids. I'm like. If you took me when I was 18, you know, in in 1998 and gave me a quiz about like mid to late 70s pop stars and stuff like that, how the fuck? I wouldn't know any of that shit. So I kind of gave those kids a pass. They're kids. I mean, come on. When I was 18 years old, which wasn't that long ago, Benny, contrary to popular belief, contrary to me being a very uh, old young man, I think, as you described it the other day, (laughs) I I at least knew what, like, Betamax was, and I wasn't, like, born in, like, the 90s. Like, I had, like, record players in, like, high school, so, like, come on. These kids can do better. Yeah, but say, for instance, like, if if when I was 18, you showed me, like, an 8-track. Yeah. Like, I functionally knew what an 8-track was and that people used them, but I never had one. Or, like, saw it, And yeah. I never held one and saw it. So I do... I don't know, man. I think <laughs> I think they were pretty hard on those kids. They're, they're just kids. They just want to play Call of Duty and go on TikTok. Well, I don't know. Whatever these kids do, you know? Uh, Lamella Ball grew up on TikTok. But anyway, Benny, how, how was your weekend? What you, would you get into? Oh, who knows, man? Yeah. Typical weekend of a father. Uh, had a, yeah, 
Yeah, nothing exciting. Nothing exciting. I don't do anything exciting anymore, Denny. I haven't seen a show in uh, like a year. I haven't yeah. seen a movie in like three. Um, I haven't smelt the breath of another person besides for my children and my wife in a long time. I don't know. I don't even know what's going on anymore. It's like a uh, some sort of bizarre self-perpetuating fantasy that just goes on every day. And I, I don't even know what to believe. So no debauchery, no, uh, I don't know, maybe taking after a certain Argentinian soccer player that passed away this past week? Yeah, let's get into Maradona because there are a couple... I mean, I know you want to do the recap on Maradona, and I'd like you to. Yeah. But I like the fact that he confessed that his weekly regime consisted of playing a game on Sunday, going out until Wednesday... And then hitting the gym on Thursday. <laughs> you know, come on. What a legend. I mean, he was the epitome of everything you could be as a superstar on the field. It was like nobody prior to Maradona was doing anything. And a lot of, you know, the superstars that we've seen since, your Ronaldinho's, your Messi's, your Ronaldo's, like the entire flair for the game was birthed with this one man who at times in his life, really kind of pivoted on, you know, how we've talked about the Kanye West crazy element. Right. He was at times thought he was one with God, and it's it. I'm was cocaine's back. a hell of a drug. <laughs> I know exactly, and he was a guy who got into a, a little bit of trouble with, uh, you know, uh, different Middle Eastern royal families in 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 regard to borrowing money at different times. Uh, Let's get to the positive side of thing. Yeah. So begins his career with Boca Juniors, great club, an unbelievable atmosphere around that stadium down there. It was in Argentina one time, and the entire neighborhood down there was just in bright yellow, bright blue, and they praised this guy as if he was Jesus himself. There's probably more candles of Maradona in Argentina <laughs> than there are Jesus. So then he goes over to Europe, plays for Barcelona, has a stint there, but it was his stint at Napoli that really kind of put him at the epicenter of the world. And Napoli in Serie A at the time, so at that time, right, Serie A was like the biggest soccer league in the world. What what we think of La Liga and the Premier League today, like Serie A was where all the superstars were going. And Napoli was, in essence, the bottom tier, top of Serie B. And so it would be like if, I don't know, Say LeBron took the uh, Fort Wayne G League team (laughs) and won the NBA championship and made them the best basketball team in the world. So that's what that move did. It was a controversial move at the time that he made it because Barcelona has historically been one of the top clubs in the world. It's like, why would he leave this big stage? And he created something entirely his own. Um, But I, I think most people remember Maradona. Uh, the hand of God, which you know we we talked about about before. So that conversation when he finally got to the pearly gates and had a conversation with God must have been inter- interesting. But um, just an an incredible figure. Um, the, later in life, you know, it, it's sad. He tried his hand at coaching, never could quite m- meet the legend that he created for himself on the field. Uh, even up till the day he died, he was a a, a manager for. Uh, team down in in Argentina, uh, barely showing up to practice, still partying, right. living as hard as ever. So I don't think um, it's an incredible thing to be put up there with deity 
and I think he bought it hook, line, and sinker. And, you know, that that must be a hard thing to come down from. So I don't think he ever truly did, and unfortunately he passed away way too young at the age of 60. Yeah, I mean, a guy like this, I mean, well, first off, four, you know, he, he was in four World Cups. Yes. Um, you know, and was obviously active and great in most of those World Cups with his pro career being so esteemed. I mean, if you just took the personal stuff aside, this is one of or maybe the best footballer in history, yeah. no? So so just that alone, take it away from the personal stuff. But the thing, you know, you look into this guy just a little bit and and he was not, you know, a lot of people say they're a man of the people, but when you're from a place like Argentina, that means different things, you know? Mm. Like LeBron James is a man of the people in the US. So that means he takes the American path, which is, <laughs> you know, I'm going to get super rich, join the rich guys club, and then do things a little bit differently. But when you're from where he was from and the people he was mixed up with, you know, he, he was um, pro Fidel Castro, pro Cuban government. He was pro Chavez in Venezuela. And he got, you know, involved in essentially any kind of people's movement that was going on, especially in South America or around the world. He was pretty vocal about it. And this is a kid who came from a shanty town and became Maradona. Mm. And I don't think he ever, like, uh, you know, lost that sense of himself. So when you see someone struggle with, like, fame and you see someone struggle with, like, the acclaim and stuff that he had and the way he acted, sometimes I think people like that are just the realest motherfuckers. Yeah. You know, and the ones who start playing the game are the ones who forgot where they came from. And I think this is the best example. So during a meeting with Pope John Paul II at the Vatican in 1987, they apparently clashed on the issue of wealth disparity mm. with Maradona stating, I in quotes, I argued with him because I was in the Vatican and I saw all these golden ceilings. And afterwards, I heard the Pope say the church was worried about the welfare of poor kids. Well, sell your ceiling then, amigo. Do something. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. This is a fucking kid from a shanty town in Argentina calling out the fucking Pope about the excesses of his ceiling. And, you know, the but that that's a statement on so many other things. That's that's a statement on the excess of power. Yeah. You know, and for a long time, the, the church was the power and they funneled all the money to themselves. So I, th I think this guy was pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, I think the mainstream and the um the types of outlets that would give him the long-term respect or something of a, a, cer a certain type of player didn't want to accept the the way he was and he stuck to it till the very end so respect full-on respect from this punk rocker to maradona <laughs> benny each and every week we start the show kind of warm up a little bit with this let's get into this day in music history do, 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 do. I finally got a fun one too, Denny. You know, I'm always coming here with like, hey, this was the night that this guy died. <laughs> um, so this is a more fun one. This day in 1997. Oh, are you serious? I'm serious. And we I bet I have more than you. So I'm taking it. <laughs> Kenny G. What does G stand for anyway? I don't know. Gonzalez? I don't know. <laughs> Kenny Gonzalez set a record when he held a note on his saxophone for 45 minutes and 47 seconds. 
I mean, first off, I can't do anything for 45 minutes straight. My I mean. ADD just doesn't allow it. You're lucky I get through this entire show without just, just you know, checking my phone or, or starting to do a crossword puzzle. Um, so when he did this, he used a technique called circular breathing, which is uh, accomplished by breathing in through the nose while simultaneously pushing air out through the mouth using the air stored in the cheeks. Now, obviously, this is something that people uh, practice many years trying to, to get this technique down. But in 1997, Kenny G's record was, of course, not met without controversy because a didgeridoo player named Mark Atkins had apparently played over 50 minutes consecutively on an album in 1994 predating Kenny G's record of 45 minutes. He didn't send it to Guinness, so it technically was not a world record, but it was on wax of him doing it for 50 minutes. So technically, Kenny G never held the world record, but it was all for naught because in 2017, a Nigerian saxophonist named Femi Kuti broke the record by playing 51 minutes, 38 seconds. But still, not, not bad, Kenny. Respect. Just to kind of backtrack this a little bit, and uh, yeah, so Kuti in in 2017 played for 47 and a half minutes, and in uh, 1997, the one that you were talking about, a saxophonist in uh, Alabama, Von Birchfield, uh-huh. apparently played it. Uh, for that 51 minutes that, that you, you were talking about, but didn't say anything because he had so much respect for Kenny G. You know, you'd think that there'd be some great conclusion to the end of this. Be, because of this whole controversy, uh, the Guinness Book of World Records was like, that's it, we're taking it out, this isn't going to be a thing anymore, and they canceled the category, so now nobody what? has the record. Yeah. Oh, what a load of shit. <laughs> that's a punk move by Guinness. <laughs> of all the things that they go at, like... From from what I understand about Guinness, Denny, couldn't yeah. I call them tomorrow and be like, hey, I'm going to set the world record for eating pancakes. Yeah. And don't they send somebody to mm-hmm. see if I come and finish the world record for eating pancakes? How can they sort that out? But they can't sort out something with such such great esteem and acclaim. Yeah. So I it's... think, yeah, I, Kenny, I, I think I have one answer for this, Denny. Yeah which is one person I know named Denny Gallagher doing a circular breathing note for 53 minutes. Oh, I'm Can you do it? In my trumpet playing prime, man, of course. Of, of course. course. You played trumpet. In my pep of band days, you bruh. <laughs> you played trumpet. You weren't even in a ska band, man. <laughs> hey, man, ska, ska wasn't cool by the time I got to high school. And, you know, as you can probably tell, I had a hard enough time with the ladies. I wasn't about to, you know. Hey, listen, there was a lot of girls with, with checkered vans at, <laughs> at Scott shows, okay? It could have been good for you. Checkered vans were so, like, everybody had them by the time I hit high school in 2008 that it, like, wasn't even, like, a cultural thing anymore. It was like... Yeah, you're like... You went to high school post-X games. Yeah. It's all different. <laughs> after Sean White, it was all downhill for everybody. <laughs> yeah, after the Tony Hawk 720, <laughs> it was never ours again. Danny, yeah. did you know that the Community Food Bank of New Jersey needs our help this year? Hmm. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, 
They're on track to distribute food for over 80 million meals this year. 66 million meals last year, 80 million meals this year. Uh, every $10 you donate to the Community Food Bank of New Jersey provides 30 nutritious meals. Only $10 provides 30 nutritious wow. meals, enough to feed your neighbor and enough to feed them for a full day. We have a donation link. It's cfbnj.org backslash the tune-up 2020. You can go there, give anything you can. And uh, these people are professionals, and they know how to stretch this money farther than you do. So give them a couple bucks, and they know how to, how to make the best of it. Denny, are you going to give this year? Oh, of course. Benny, like you said, these people have been doing this for 45 years. That's incredible. That's quite the career. That's almost as long as Tom Brady's been playing football. <laughs> and 22% of everything that they give out is fresh produce. So just unbelievable. It's healthy. It's helping people. What else could you do this holiday season? Especially today, it's Giving Tuesday. Happy holiday to everybody. Go to the link below, cfbnj.org slash the tune-up 2020 and help some people out. Yeah, skip, skip out on Tuesday night's night uh, White Claws <laughs> and, gi and give us the money, okay? I love on this show when basketball meets music in this perfect fusion mm. that is, you know, right up our alley. So, Benny, this past week, JaVale McGee of the Lakers, fresh off a championship and into yeah, the fire, mm -hmm. gets a Grammy nomination for whatever he contributed to <laughs> Justin Bieber's changes. Benny, I, I know you've got a huge bone to pick with the Grammys and, and, and all of that thing. But can we just applaud JaVale McGee for, you know, I guess this is bigger than basketball. Yes, we can. Okay. <laughs> like, you're right. I do think the Grammys is horseshit. Um, and almost every one of my favorite artists or bands throughout the history of my musical narrative didn't get a fucking Grammy. Okay. So, so it's like, it's like the SATs of awards, you know? It's only meant for one type of person, yeah, one type of artist. But I got over that a long time ago. It just is what it is. And I want to give respect to JaVale McGee because three-time NBA champion, mm -hmm. all-around cool dude, it seems like. You know, he, anytime he's on a team, he's getting, the, uh, he's getting the locker room. You never hear a problem with this guy. But what you said is is I think the most important part is whatever his contribution was, got him a Grammy. So he contributed to the sixth track, not all of it, the sixth track on Bieber's album, which is entitled Available. He did so under his music name, Pierre. Oh, sweet Jesus. That's his music name, just Pierre. No last name, no nothing, okay? And, uh, you know, he released his own solo rap album in 18, mm -hmm. which apparently didn't win a Grammy. Oh, so shocker. That, that's the big question in play here is what exactly did his production group offer to this track that allowed him to get a Grammy? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. He was probably part of like a team of a few people who gave him a beat or gave him something like that. And that's what this shit's all about these days. Like, that's why if you go onto any new hip hop record, the credits page is about two fucking pages long because every single track has about 18 different people who contributed a verse, contributed a beat, contributed a fucking sound. And they're all smart these days. They're, they're not 
they're not going into this like, bro, let's just make music, you yeah. know, like all the idiots <laughs> were in the seventies. They're all going in there being like, yo, my track's getting played. I'm getting this percentage. I'm getting these points. So I think a lot of my uh, distaste for this is just the fact that, I don't know, people like JaVale McGee are just way smarter in business than I am, you know? I think we all know how this ends. I think this ends with LeBron being like, oh, well, now I got to produce a full album that wins a a Grammy. I think LeBron's main goal, he wants to win the EGA, but instead of the Emmy, he wants the ESPY, the Grammy, the Oscar, and the Tony. I'm going to be impressed with LeBron James on Broadway, but until we see that, he's not the GOAT. Ron's never touched music, has he? Is that is that one? Part he was on one. Yet? He quote unquote was producer in the room on like one two change track. So who do you think is the best musician to ever come out of the NBA? John Teston played Diddy. No, just kidding. Um, the best musician. Oh man, do you have an answer to this? Do you have an idea? Not really. The- I mean, I mean, the pickings are slim. I mean, my head. Bill Walton. My head goes right to uh, the Shaq, Shaq Fu versus yeah. Damian oh. Lillard beef. Oh, I think those two were the probably. I mean, I think they were the the two who made the most impact in music. I know you were a little young to remember the Shaq thing. No, I remember Shaq that. with the Fu Schnickens was a pretty big deal, and that <laughs> yeah. record made a lot of headway. And he actually had respect for it. It was shortly after the Iverson album, so mm. everybody was kind of you know, afraid of what could come. But Damian Lillard yeah. actually spits bars. We were mad know? disrespectful he's, here. He's a, Oh, who am I missing? No, 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 no. Like, not, like, taking so long to bring up Dame. I feel like we just totally disrespect him that he, he wasn't top of mind here. I mean, but but my head is, it automatically goes to, like, wait, is there someone from the 80s who, yeah. who just rips at drums or something? <laughs> like how Bernie Williams actually is, like, an excellent Spanish guitar player. <laughs> you know, people don't don't know that. So so I, I, I got to imagine there's some, some basketball player from the 80s and 90s who's actually really, really good <laughs> at an instrument, and I just don't know it. Vladi Divac's polka record was tremendous. Not just kidding. Yeah. So uh, I think for now we're giving it to Dame, right? Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. All for right. sure. That's good. That's good. Keeping it in the NBA for a hot second, Benny. You know we're talking about greatest, all of that stuff. One certain guard in the league is trying to uh, challenge Michael Jordan. That's right. Steph Curry and Under Armour announced this week that they are creating the Curry brand to rival the Jordan brand. I'm not sure how this is going to work because number one, I don't think, you know, yes, Curry is a winner, but I don't think he's synonymous with it. I think Curry's a little bit more synonymous for other things. Jordan brand just signifies winning. It has a long lineage now of coming up at, at, at a time where sneakers and music were all intertwined. This feels a little late to the party, but also Under Armour on the clothing brand was a little late to the party. Yeah, so sure. I kind of think that this is a, I, I've no doubt it's going to sell a lot, but in terms of being, oh, hey, did you go get those pair of curries or C's? I don't think that's ever going to happen. I mean, it's hard to say because so much of what made the Jordan brand successful was his success. Right. You know, so like if Nike puts that, you know, guy on a shoe and puts that logo on stuff and he doesn't follow it up with the kinds of things he did, does the Jordan brand ever take off the way it did? Yeah. 
probably not, you right. know, and it was his own personal branding that was part of it, too. It was kind of synonymous with Nike and Jordan and what he was doing. So it really feels like a different thing to me. Um, but that being said, if I mean, Curry's still a young guy, young mm. enough, if he can actually pull off another title or two, the Curry brand goes a lot further than uh, we're probably both imagining. So much has to do with the play. But I think, you know, reading an interview with with Steph, I think I kind of got to the uh, the core of what he's trying to do. And I'm going to read you a quote and tell me if you find this to be shade at all. Okay. okay. It's, it's Steph Curry. So, of course, it's the most vanilla, nicest shade you'll ever hear in your right, life. Right, exactly. But here's the quote. Yeah. He says, I know a lot of people like to link it with Jordan brand in terms of having a legacy brand attached to the company. And he is the GOAT standard of success when it comes to doing that. But we are going to do it a different way and something that's authentic to me. Again, we're trying to plant our flag and just live our purpose. We're setting out to do everything we can when it comes to the product, marketing, and community give back on our initiatives. Every single question that he was asked in this interview about Curry Brand, he really pushed this community give back and the initiatives, being true to who he is. So I think he's like part of the marketing and part of the branding for this is like this is the safe NBA player. This is the good NBA player. This is the Christian. This is the clean cut. You don't have to worry about a gangster rap record from this guy. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, a picture of him at the club with the, you know. So I think he's kind of coming from like an anti-Jordan purity standpoint to to kind of sell his product. So between a. You know, because Nike had like the Tiger Woods brand for a while, Jordan brand. I could perfectly see this be like Under Armour Golf Clubs, kind of get into the whole golf thing because he's big into that. So honestly, though, I feel like if you're going to come for the king and you're going to put brand at the end of it, man, there are so many other words to describe clothes that you could have gone with Mm. that to go with Curry brand to be so on the nose to be from North Carolina yourself. You know, I feel like. Yes, you can come at Jordan for the Republicans buy sneakers too, but you just saw how much money he gave from the last dance uh, to people that have been out of work in North Carolina and to the Black Lives Matter movement. So Jordan's been there lately. So so to come at him for that now, that's also a little dated. So everything that Curry's doing with this is behind the eight ball. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, and I think part of this... I think you nailed it on the head with the golf. You know, he's definitely going to take it some other avenues. Um, I think he already uh, is responsible for starting the male and female golf program at Howard University yeah. or funding it, rather. So, yeah, I think you're correct in assuming that. But that kind of lends itself to my theory, which is this is the safe vanilla avenue to support an NBA athlete if you still want to. Yeah. Um, now, here's the big question. First athlete NBA player to be named under the Curry brand. Who's it going to be? What's your prediction? Oh, I mean, his new Ken, his new teammate, Kent Bazemore, that just signed with Golden State, that <laughs> brought him to Under Armour in the first place. That, that'd be a pretty good way to start. Or his new, new, new Bazemore? teammate. You're going with Bazemore. I mean, hey, he brought him to Under Armour. You know, it, it's a little, you scratch my back. I don't know if selling many shoes, pal. That's true. Uh, <laughs> Wiseman? 
Yeah, that, that was my thought. Like, yeah? he might, yeah, take the kid under his wing. You know, he's got a chance to to show him the ropes. Be like, listen, don't worry about Draymond. He, it's just the way he talks. Come, <laughs> come, hang out with us. I'll be nice to you. I don't know. It could be him. I mm. think that might be it. Well, it's not going to be Clay after he just signed that big deal with the Chinese shoe company. So, shout out to everybody getting their money. But come on. Curry brand, I think we could have done a little bit better than that. Curry Corp is better, right? I, you CC? know what? I'm not saying anything else until I see the logo. That's true. And like the if, shoes. If the logo slays yeah. and the shit just looks cool, it's probably going to do fine because people just want to look cool. And if he trolls Jordan again by getting Spike Lee to do the commercial, I'm here for that. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, there's no easy way to to start off this part of the podcast, but we're going to keep it in the association adjacent, which is, I guess, what we've been doing the whole night. But this past Saturday night, YouTuber Jake Paul was on a had a bout with NBA a former NBA Slam Dunk champion Nate Robinson. Two time, two time, exactly. This was the undercard for the highly anticipated Mike Tyson return to boxing. But this outshadowed that on social media and what people were talking about in newspapers and all around the next day. Jake Paul, who apparently had been training for a little bit in boxing, has has trying to been doing this for his YouTube channel, really took it to Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson before was talking about how it's a representation of the NBA family, yada, yada, yada. Uh, And quickly, as soon as he went down and got KO'd by this YouTuber white guy, the entire brotherhood of the NBA backed down real quick, being like, he's not one of us. So that was kind of interesting. But, Benny, I kind of wanted to start here with this. I think this was really sad. I know Jake Paul has a tremendous following. The Paul brothers own YouTube, Instagram, all of that stuff. But, man, for this to outshadow uh, Mike Tyson return to boxing, what does that say about 2020? I mean, it says that YouTube stars command more attention than former heavyweight champions like that's, Mike Tyson. That's, uh... You know, I mean, I think the sentiment is pretty obvious. The one thing is, like, I know a little bit about this guy, Jake Paul. I don't know enough. You know, I'm not super connected to this stuff. But from anything I've seen prior to this, I mean, guy seems like a real, I don't know. I don't give a shit about him, basically. Yeah. And everything I've seen doesn't make me want to give a shit about him. <laughs> But can you blame someone for getting called out and then doing it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he got called out. The guy had started training for boxing. He's obviously a young guy. He's in great shape. And, you know, he he went for it and he trained. And I think the big thing here and the big lesson from all of this, and maybe you're going to start seeing some backlash because there was some public backlash is Nate Robinson Never should have gotten a license to fight. Yeah. And he never should have gotten a license to box. And he never should have been that ring. Like, watching him take a punch that 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 shook him where he saw bells and where it looked like he got a little concussed. Like, I'm so used to seeing that in a boxing match. That's part, it's part and parcel of what happens in boxing. And right. it's kind of the risk these guys incur by doing it. But seeing a guy who is totally ill-equipped to take a fucking punch like that seeing a guy who's totally ill-equipped in the ring you know where any any boxer with any kind of training whatsoever 
can withstand what Nate Robinson was doing was a guy who's really strong, really energetic with zero reach and zero skill running in there, throwing a bunch of fucking punches and someone who knows what they're doing can just fucking grab them, lock them up and then actually box. Yeah. This guy's only been training for like two years and he actually just knows how to box a little. And if you're not used to taking those hits, I think it's more about that. It's less about giving the hits and it's about this, being accustomed to taking the hits, mm. uh, which which is the big thing in boxing. But let's let's go to a few tweets, okay? Yeah, let's do it. Speaking, speaking of the YouTube generation. <laughs> These are from actual professional boxers who are watching this fight. Clarissa Shields tweets, mm-hmm. man, this some bullshit. <laughs> Nate don't need to be in there with no headgear. You can't play boxing. What the fuck? Yeah. Joseph Diaz, boxer. Mm-hmm. Can we stop with these bs youtube fights the shit's embarrassing and disrespectful to the sport boxing is a sport to play with these guys are gonna get hurt and then teddy atlas famous Mm. trainer of course tweets i don't care about athletes or not stop allowing guys who don't know how to fight into the ring paul has actually trained to fight awful so if there's one thing that this reaction shows me is that if they keep doing this shit, someone's going to get really fucking hurt. And somebody's going to get like like scary hurt where something yeah. weird happens and nobody wants it. So I think there's enough old bastards like Mike Tyson and Roy Jones who actually know how to fight and know how to bring in pay-per-view clicks where, I, I don't know, if you're not wearing headgear and it's not about exhibition style, raising money for charity, that kind of thing, I think I'm done watching these guys in the ring. But this is what boxing is now. I mean, boxing is the sport of the gimmick, of the quick money grab. I mean, nothing in the last five years of boxing has pr- uh, has promised any sort of legitimacy outside of what was it, a Kirilenko fight? That was like the one good fight in the last five years. Sure. So the entire, I think boxing brought this on upon themselves. I mean, there's there's better options now if, if, if you crave blood sport like this you have mma i think people um would rather play pay for like a espn plus and get all of these matches all the time rather than like a pay-per-view so and that and i think having money mayweather be like your last big star seeing how much he's rolling in it throwing his money in everybody's face people want that guy to get punched the fuck out and that didn't happen so i think that really turned off a lot of people but this is all what boxing is now i hate to see it because it's honestly the purest form of sport outside of maybe track and field but it's been corrupted by money like a lot of other great things so it's sad to see but this is the state of boxing right now yeah yeah you're probably right i mean you're hanging on to like a a vision of boxing that maybe doesn't exist anymore and there's no shortage of YouTube stars and no shortage of <laughs> ex-professional athletes who will take the check to go in the ring. So exactly, exactly. It was wildly successful, and we're sitting here on a podcast talking about Boxing. the undercard <laughs> instead of Mike Tyson's return to it's the sad. ring. So it obviously worked, uh, and we fell right into the trap, Denny. Eh. Hey, man, we're just all out here trying to get punches for clicks, right? <laughs> That's what I always say. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of craving absolute depravity of humanity, let's turn our attention to the NFL. And you know we only talk about the NFL if there's some sort of nonsense going on. And this past week, 
the Broncos the mm. of Denver, the Denver Broncos, had all of their quarterbacks on the roster, both the regular roster and the practice squad, test positive for COVID. Head coach Vic Fangio, very disappointed in all of them for putting themselves ahead of the team, and rightly so. Then the Broncos turned to Kendall Hinton, who prior to this season had given up on football and was raising money for charity in Denver. I'm sure doing a lot of great work, but he took the field um, in only a couple hours notice against the New Orleans Saints here in Week 12. And honestly, I think that this is a result of a bigger problem with sports needing a product on TV, and they don't care who they're throwing out. Benny, they could throw me or you out there, but as long as the TV contracts live up to it and they fulfill the order of episodes that CBS, NBC, ABC, Red Zone, whoever has games these days, as long as they fulfill that order, that's all that the owners, the coaches, and really the players care about because at the end of the day, they all get paid and COVID be damned. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's a few really simple takeaways to take away from this issue, okay? The first is, let's just be real, the NFL simply does not care about human bodies. At all. At all. I mean, they've made it between the last 20 years of hits, concussions, Colin Kaepernick, personal depressions, the things that like have been going through the NFL and they're just relentless, man. They're yeah. just like product on the field. Here you go. That's all we give a shit about. If we can put it on TV, that's all we care about. Secondly, Vic Fangio talking about how he's upset about the way this played out. It's your fault, <laughs> motherfucker. This is your team. Yeah. You let your only three quarterbacks hang out with a coach who's not wearing a fucking mask with none of them wearing a mask. I don't know why all four of them are in a room together anyway. Right. You know what I mean? Like all the basic principles of what's supposed to happen uh, didn't happen. And apparently football is all top down. And now all of a sudden you don't want to take responsibility for your own (laughs) coaching staff. So him talking shit was just absurd that that was even a thing. And then the other takeaway is the idea that the NFL didn't mandate that a couple players on the team are just separated from the team. Yeah. You've got these giant rosters and all these possibilities of the way you could have done this. And the idea of keeping like one skill position player, almost at each position, not even just quarterback, like a couple different position sets where you have one alternate at least who hasn't been part of the the COVID bubble and is keeping safe on their own. I, I think you could find hundreds and hundreds of athletes who would have taken the check to do that. Right. Um, so there's so many reasons this was stupid. And the only person I don't blame for any of it is Kendall Hinton. Yeah. Who, who I think the last time he played organized football, uh, excuse me, last time he played quarterback, was that was, Wake uh, was at Wake Forest, at Wake Forest about yeah. five years ago? I mean, this guy wasn't even on the active roster. He he was an inactive wide receiver. Yeah. So he literally just got a call, being like, "Hey, in one day, can you come here play quarterback against the Saints team that's given up like you know fucking twenty points in the last <laughs> three weeks or whatever it is?" Like the fact that he went out there and only threw two picks and actually like 
just played quarterback and even made it, you know, uh, completed a pass. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him for going out there. It's got nothing to do with this guy. And it's all the fault of Vic Fangio. And the NFL's really, really haphazard and shabby approach to all of this. And it's pretty obvious now that, like, they're just, like, they're just holding on for dear life. There's no plan. There's no, uh, you know, the thing we saw with the NBA bubble is just not happening here. They are just hoping and praying that they get through to the playoffs and they don't have to cancel any more games. And that's it. I mean, and for as much as we praise the NBA on this podcast, they're approaching a season doing the exact same thing because when the bill came for all of that well-being, right? They were, uh, if, if they would have started on Martin Luther King Day in 2021, they would have lost $500 million. So yeah. it's it's really a shame. We we know that sports is a business. We hear about it all, all the time. Um, the NBA tried to hide it for as long as they could. The NFL, no holds bar, but shout out to Hinton, though. Made thirty five grand in a Sunday. That's good a pretty good day. Hey, man, you, you could put me out there for a decade, and I'm not, I'm not getting a 13-yard pass completed. That's a fact. I think I could do it. I think oh, I could do can. it. I think I could do it. <laughs> okay. I think one pass, right, one pass for my entire, entire life. If my life depended on it, I think I could complete a first down 10-yard pass. You know what I I would pay, I would pay upwards of at least a thousand dollars to have a close up of your face with an NFL defensive lineman barreling towards you. I just want to see it. I just want to see. I it. feel like I Benny doesn't money. think that I'm like deceptively fast, but you forget, my friend. You forget, oh, man. Denny, Denny, Denny. What? Come, on. come on, come on, come on. One pass. One, yeah, yeah. A guy named Kendall Hinton, who's an NFL wide receiver, who was good enough at quarterback to get a scholarship to Wake Forest yeah. to play quarterback, could only get one pass, and he barely got that pass. So I got to be honest, your odds aren't good, Fred. I put fe- a poll out to the Tune Up yes. <laughs> Universe to see if Denny completes one pass. Right in New Orleans Saints. The Tune Up Podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in yeah. there. Do you think I could complete a 10 yard pass against the New Orleans Saints? I think I could do it because, quite frankly, Saints are washed. I could do it. 10 yard pass, that's it. That's easy. I just imagine that, that person at the game who's like, ah, you can't hit that ball. You can't hit that ball. Like at a baseball game. And then all of a sudden, a 90 mile an hour fastball whizzed by their head and they're like, yeah, I can't hit that ball. I'm not saying. I don't think you recognize the speed. Also, I'm not sure I could see over the offensive line, but um, no, I have to pull a real Doug Flutie to get that one off. No, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not the guy that thinks that I could like, like win you the championship, hit the Kyrie Irving shot to win the championship. I know uh-huh. my limits, but it, but if, if if say you give me like a ten yard pass in like a week one game where people aren't really in midseason form yet, like one first down and then pull me, I think I, I could do that. All right. <laughs> Let's take it to the people. I'm the, curious what they say. The world will never know. And if somebody is in a position to put me in that position, don't email the tune-up. <laughs> but if you want to get in contact with us, you can uh, follow us, all of our content, uh, the tune-up HQ on Twitter and Instagram, tune-up on Twitch. And if you want to donate to our fundraiser, you can go to CFB. 
bnj.org slash the tune-up 2020. Uh, we're doing this through the holiday season. Give what you can. $25 creates 75 meals for families in the state of New Jersey. So great stuff there. Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz. One, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. And also, apparently, my number one skeptic for being a one-pass NFL quarterback. You can follow me at Denny underscore Gallagher on Twitter. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, like like you said, hammer at home. If you can give a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, uh, please do. Tis the season to uh, open up a little bit and give whatever you can. And uh, yeah, let's take care of each other out there. Everybody, love everybody. Happy Giving Tuesday. You've been listening to The Tune-Up. <laughs>